So I was chatting with some buddies the other day, Corbs, and we were talking about how do you like your bacon? And it was a scale of one to six. One obviously being like it's just come out of the package and six being, <laughs> you know, it's kind of a combo of brown and black. And um, if you tap it on the counter, it's going to just snap into pieces. So a one to six, where are you on the bacon cooking scale? I'm a three to four kind of guy. I like I like the sliminess. I like, you know, I'm not eating bacon for health reasons. So I, if I'm going to eat bacon, I, I want to feel the fat going down into my body. Anything more than a five or a six, you might as well just get some charcoal off your grill and eat that too. Because why not, right? I, I don't understand. Oh my God. I, I, I don't understand. We were just talking about this today. I... The same guys who like well or like uh, medium rare steaks and or rare steaks are the same guys who are like ah five and six are good. I don't know. What's your take on that? That's yeah, absolutely disastrous. Uh, personally, I know that I like my bacon a little bit on the uh, more undercooked side. So I'm, I'm not gonna lie. I'm like a two and a half to a three. But once it starts getting a little bit too brown for me, and it depends on also what kind of bacon we're dealing with. Like, is it a thicker cut? Is it, right. is it thin, right? It's going to take less time in the pan or whatever. But if we're getting anywhere in the four area, no thanks. Might as well just break it up and, and feed it to the birds because that's just absolute trash. That <laughs> you know, or or just use it for bacon bits in your salad the next day or whatever it is. But you can't have a conversation with them. Yeah, it's it's a travesty. Yeah. You're wasting high quality pork, and you you we've killed a pig just to waste it like that. Mm -hmm. I, I, it doesn't make sense. Does it change yeah. if it's like, do you, if you have bacon by itself or bacon on a burger is still kind of that two and a half, three range. That two and a half, three all day. Like, no, it's, I need the flavor. I need the juices. I don't need it dried up looking like a 94 year old skin. Like that's not what I need. I don't need that. Shout out 94 year olds and much love. Just when you thought <laughs> hoops journey was just about hoops. We cover Apparently it all. Not. Apparently not. All right, all right. We are back. Welcome to episode seven of A Hoops Journey. I am your host, Aaron Mitchell, alongside my main man, Corbin Castris. Corbs, how are you? Doing great, man. How are you doing? Good. I'm thrilled to have our guest here with us today, um, a person who is pretty much fits the exact identity of what we want our podcast to be about, someone who's chased basketball and their passion for the sport, gone through lots of ups and downs, and able to find themselves in a position of, you know, one of the top universities in BC, uh, but competing at an American level. And we are excited to have Steve Hansen on our podcast today. Thanks for joining us, coach. Thanks for having me on guys. Real excited. Yeah, we are too. Obviously you and I have a, a, you know, a big history and lots to go back on. I think your journey is one that's super cool and I'm really excited to hear what you have to say. We're both excited to learn from you and hear about you and your story. And I hope a lot of other people are excited as well. So just right off the bat, tell us a little bit about how life is for you just as a coach, obviously, you know, coaching at Simon Fraser, um, there's some restrictions on what you can and can't do. So before we start talking about your journey, I'm just interested to know about how COVID has affected you and your program. If you want to just talk a little bit about that before we get going. Yeah, I mean, what a crazy and unprecedented time. 
I mean, we're all in the same boat. So we're, we're all kind of going through this together. And, you know, whether you're a student, a student athlete or, or somebody in the workforce, I think it's such a strange time that we find ourselves in, but it's given us a lot of time to reflect. I know uh, for me personally, you know, just I'm actually getting some things done that uh, maybe I wouldn't have done if I didn't have some of this downtime. I'm running, trying to, trying to get myself in better shape and try to walk the walk a little more than maybe I have in the past year. So it's been a, a unique time, but I think it's, a, a, it's been kind of a, a neat time at the same way. And, and what are you doing in terms of checking in with the guys that you have or the guys that have committed? And what are you able to share or chat? Are you guys allowed to do Zoom meets or what, yeah. what happens there from a coaching standpoint? Yeah, the NCAA does come down with, you know, any anytime there's a new item that comes up. So we do get an email saying that, you know, Zoom uh, conferencing for recruiting and, and checking in with players has is, is been allowed, which is kind of funny. I mean, it seems, you know, phone calls are always fine, but since no in-person visits are allowed right now, uh, Zoom is the next best thing. I think mm-hmm. for a lot of recruits out there, I think a lot of guys are committing earlier than maybe they have in the past just because they know they're not going to, you know, the likelihood of a visit in May, June, July is is highly unlikely. So I think uh, everybody's yeah. being proactive uh, under these mm-hmm. circumstances. But uh, it's been neat. I mean, I, I've just tried to make a conscious effort to uh, reach out with my guys. I know they're usually sick of me by this time of year and and <laughs> uh, go through a tough uh, couple weeks of exams. But, you know, checking in with guys, I mean, some guys are social. Some guys get, you know, pinned in their houses if, if they don't have basketball. So you know, checking mm-hmm. on the mental health and, and making sure everybody's uh, staying motivated. Good. Awesome. And, you know, just knowing what you're like and the kind of care and compassion that you'll have for your athletes. And I know that those guys are, even though maybe they're sick of you, they, that they understand everything's coming from a good place for you. So that's, that's awesome. And I know you've got a little grandkid that you're chasing around and, and life's busy for you that way. So we know you have your hands full. Um, let's start talking about the journey. So you grew up, uh, Port Coquitlam went to Terry Fox, but before Terry Fox, like what was what was Steve Hansen the kid? Was he a multi-sport athlete? Did he just play hoops? What what does that look like for you at, at a super young age? Yeah, yeah, it's neat to reflect on the journey, and uh, you know, this podcast is a great way to do that. And listening to everybody's stories is so cool and unique because you realize everybody's got their own unique story. But uh, I mean, for me, you know, my parents were immigrants from England. When my mom and dad got to Toronto in the uh, early late fifties, early sixties, it's crazy. I was kind of uh, the late baby. My my dad had me at forty seven. My mom was forty three. So I was a mistake mm-hmm. for sure. Um, my older brother <laughs> is uh, I think fifty fifty eight now, and uh, you know sister was fifty fifty four. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, I think I remember my dad at an early age telling me he wanted you know as a Canadian kid you got to learn how to skate. You got to learn how to swim. You know, we want you to play soccer and, and do all the things that the kids in Ontario were doing. And then I moved to Victoria. Uh, my dad used to work for IBM back in when it was a big company in the late 70s and early 80s. And he always told me that was that stood for I've been moved because he was always getting transferred. So we, we went from Toronto to Peterborough, where I was born, uh, Victoria. And then from Victoria, he... They wanted to send him back to Toronto, but they gave him an option to move to Vancouver. So that's uh, when it took my journey from Vancouver. I lived in Richmond for one year. We rented a house before my parents settled in Coquitlam. And Coquitlam was just kind of a, 
a pretty underdeveloped suburb, you know, houses were being built and, and we were lucky to move in and, you know, start my kind of elementary school journey in Coquitlam. So it was, it was a fun time. You know, we had a lot of multicultural friends. I think I had a friend from every part of the planet and uh, that's yeah. kind of what Canada was for me. You know, whether it was Chinese, Filipino, Iranian, uh, African, Caribbean, I had yeah, pretty much a friend from every culture. So that was just the norm for me. So it was really cool upbringing yeah, so that's awesome yeah i mean as, yeah. as far as basketball goes i mean it was um it was a time where there were hoops outside but you know i grew up playing soccer you know my cohort of friends was kind of doing a little bit of everything we actually three of us actually played in a tennis club which is kind of crazy uh so i was pretty serious about tennis and then in fifth grade we started playing a lot of uh touch football on the field and uh we saw a flyer come by our elementary school one day and we said we're signing up for football. So grade six started kind of my, my football journey. And that was kind of a neat thing. Um, but when I got into high school and just, uh, or I guess it was junior high back then at Hastings, which is now Maple Creek, mm -hmm. you know, I just got tall and skinny. So volleyball and basketball and kind of those school sports became pretty important. Yeah. And it, that's one thing I think a lot of people don't know way back when when we were in high school right it was 8 9 10 and then high school was 11 12 right like the the 9 to 12 yeah. or the 8 to 12 model didn't didn't exist then so you went to a junior high and then you transferred to your senior high now back to tennis are you like a serve and volley guy or you baseline what was your game there <laughs> no big uh, i don't know goran Ivanisevic was my guy he was a yes you know a six seven six six seven serve with a big pounding sir serve and i kind of liked him because he looked like a basketball guy and you know I, I i think it taught a lot of footwork i mean i love to move and actually my first summer mm -hmm. in tennis i mean i remember getting to three finals i was in a, a co-ed doubles final or a mixed doubles final a, a men's doubles final and uh i went against one of my good buddies growing up a guy named dale robertson who ended up being a pro soccer player, but we played each other in the final and ended up having a fight, I think halfway through the court, you know, uh, during the, the match and he beat me in that final, but it was, uh, it was uh, funny times back then, but, uh, you know, competitive juices, uh, his dad, his dad played, uh, soccer in South Africa. So that, that, that was where they were born, uh, even though the parents were Scottish. And so there was a lot of, uh, there was a lot of, uh, that soccer bravado that I grew up in and around. And, and, and that include, uh, my buddies that were twin Dean and Dale Robertson. So, but yeah, so multi-sports and then uh, eventually got to Hastings and, and got with a crew of guys that just love basketball. And, and, uh, and that was the start of it for me. I, I remember Dominique Wilkins was probably the first guy that I loved in basketball. I remember going to Foot Locker at Copeland Center and get my, my first set of Brooks and I was so mad because our school colors were red, white, and blue. And uh, I found out two of my friends got, one guy got the red pair, one guy got the blue pair. So I had to get the green pair because we couldn't match. And uh, uh, that was my first memory of, you know, basketball swag. That's awesome. Corbs, he's already sniping the questions at the end. He's mad. I, oh, I, I so, know. I'm looking forward here. Right. <laughs> Dominic Wilkinson, the human highlight film. That's a that's a good follow. Now you end up going to Terry Fox, grade eleven. Don't want to date you or anything, but how? What year is this? And tell me a little bit about you know because there's some younger people that listen to this, and and obviously when Terry Fox basketball gets brought up, it's in a place where 
you know, they're kind of a top team every year. So what does Terry Fox basketball look like? And, you know, you're also walking the halls of the same school that Terry went to, right? So it was formerly Poco High. Um, and then you're at the same building that he was. So talk a little bit about what that was like and where the program was and who your coach was and what it, what got you hooked even more into basketball that way. Yeah, I mean, the reputation for the old Fox was a lot different. I remember the guys on this side of the river, Aaron, and you know what I'm talking about. We, uh, I mean, there was only three <laughs> high schools back then. There was there was Centennial that, uh, you know, I got to compete against your older brother at Centennial. There was Port Moody where most of the guys in my area went to. And then there was Poco. And uh, Poco wasn't somewhere you you went to unless you had to. <laughs> so um, it, it was just a different time back then. And uh, I do remember Don Van Oss coming to our junior high and uh, giving us a sales pitch. And it was the first time I heard somebody selling a program. And, and uh, my first thought was, this guy's a salesman. I, I used car salesman a little bit. And I'm like, I'm going to Port Moody. Um, but my point guard that I played with, Andre Wright, and uh, we we were really tight. And uh, we actually, uh, I remember getting the ball uh, basketballs from the coach, uh, Coach Rothwell up at Port Moody Secondary, and him giving us the balls for the for the summertime and said, hey, you guys can use these anytime you want. And then uh, Andy started talking to me about wanting to transfer to Fox. And I was like, we you can't do that. And, you know, I, I remember being excited to be signed up for film and television. That was kind of a passion of mine at Port Moody. And then Andy's like, we, I think we got to go to Fox because I think we can have at least one really good year next year. And, and, uh, you know, I, I was kind of just going with the flow. I was supposed to go to Port Moody, but Andy convinced me to come along and we went to the counselor at Port Moody in the summer and said, take us out of the system. We're going to Fox. And <laughs> it was just different times back then. There was no uh, rules with regards to transfers and, and, uh, you know, I wasn't thinking ahead. Um, you know, I would have taken the bus to Port Moody, but Fox ended up being about a 45-minute walk for me. <laughs> uh, so I did that every morning. I actually walked by Andy's house, and then we walked together to school every day. And, uh, yeah, that was the start of the journey, man. That's crazy. That's awesome. You also didn't tell us what year that was. <laughs> yeah, so that was, uh, I mean, I got to Fox. I guess it would have been 1990. I remember that, uh, you know, I, I, I was still playing community football at the time, and Fox had won the 89 Provincial Championship for single-A football. And the okay. year I got to Fox, they, they, they actually turned into a two-A school. You know, Centennial was still kind of the, the, the big guys on, on campus as far as numbers. They had about 2,200 kids, only grade 11 and 12. And Fox, when I got there, was about 1,800 for two grades. So we were a big school considering nowadays but centennial seemed so much bigger at the time so um so i got there and i said you know I'm, i think i'm done with football actually my last year of community football i played for uh Den denny zarka who was uh chris zarka's dad and, and chris zarka and i who had a lot great career with the rough riders we were teammates for a couple of years in community football and then i said no i'm gonna i'm gonna focus on basketball so i, I never really chose basketball till 11th grade and and Looking at my skills now, that was way too late. <laughs> um, but uh, just ju just the environment at Fox was just so different. I mean, it was a basketball environment. I remember going there spring and summer, playing against a guy named Bobby Huckle, who was a 
a kid from Prince George yes. that moved to Poco, and and he was an unbelievable athlete. Uh, he ended up having a stress fracture in his foot, but I mean, a guy that could double reverse at like six two, and he was a big, thick, strong guy. And uh, so we played one on one, two on two every day, and and uh, yeah, it was just a different time. Got to Fox and and Van Oss not only made me believe in where the program was going, but, you know, he was such a positive influence in my life, not only as a motivator, but just, uh, you know, helping kids believe in themselves. And that's, you know, as a coach, all you can ask for. Yeah. Tony actually called him yesterday and, you know, I always view him as like such a coach. And then we just basically talked about teaching for like 15 minutes and I forgot, yeah. you know, cause I was in his law class and whatever, but he actually was, super yeah. passionate and concerned for his kids that we're in his classes right now with what we're going through. Right. And so I can totally relate to, you know, that connection and, you know, more than just being a motivator for sure. And then you're in high school and boom, you're about to have a son. <laughs> Correct. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I remember just being a scared teenage kid at that time. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, love sports, uh, everything was going good. And I just had a serious girlfriend who, who I loved a lot. And, uh, you know, I, I didn't tell anybody, but, you know, a lot of my close friends at that time, they were, they were at Port Moody. And one, one time that sticks out for me is I went into the mall to hang out at the food fair, like a lot of kids do on a Friday or Saturday or whatever it is. And I walked into a guy that I played football with. His name was Stu Mitchell. And then one of my best friends, Kevin Phillips, who we'll probably talk a little bit about later, they said, Hey Steve, how come uh, Marianne's not at school anymore? And <laughs> and uh, they knew they knew that she had left school because of the pregnancy. And and uh, and I said, I don't know what you're talking about, man. I was <laughs> and I, I just didn't mm -hmm. want to talk about it. But at the same time, it was uh, yeah, it was such a strange time looking back. But mm -hmm. uh, it definitely made you grow up grow up really quick. And and for me, that was probably a really good thing. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think we're all goofy at 16, right? So, you know, just trying to sort through that and yeah. what that's going to look like for you. And then that's what I think is just so unique as in terms of the start of your journey is all right. Like life just yeah. gets put on hold because becoming a dad is a priority and, you know, putting food on the table is a priority and trying to just make sure that this thing works, you know? And, um, so how, how does that go for the first few years? And, you know, your bio, obviously it says, you worked for 16 years. When, when did you start to get basketball back into your life um, as, your, as AJ is growing up into a, a young man? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I was really lucky that uh, my parents were still my parents. They knew I was, I was still a kid. Uh, I wasn't ready to be a dad. So it was, um, you know, I, I, I still went to my games. I still practiced. Um, you know, you might have to get my wife on the phone and ask what that part of the journey was like, because, you know, as a, uh, you know, a, a teenage mom, it was obviously very difficult as well, but we had the support of, you know, our parents, um, you know, it was tough early on, obviously. And, and sometimes the embarrassment of a teenage pregnancy hits a family, but, you know, we worked through it. We were blessed with a, a really, really good son. And uh, we just, you know, one day at a time. And then when I realized I had a son at about, I remember at one year old, we, uh, you know, he had to be a Bulls guy. He, <laughs> he, he had, uh, you know, Michael Jordan outfits. He had probably the first three pairs of Jordans. 
uh, as a kid. And, and I just remember him coming to my games in grade 12. And that was uh, kind of a neat memory, but at the same time, a bit of a blur because, you know, you're just still trying to figure out life and trying to graduate. So, you know, my wife actually finished grade 11 before she finished her grade 10 correspondence. Uh, but we both graduated on time. Um, she graduated from Centennial and I graduated from Fox, uh, the year before she did, cause she was a year younger, but, but, uh, yeah, man, we got through it and, and, uh, and the rest is history. All right. So then, you know, graduation comes and obviously you get into the workforce and trying to figure things out and what's the next step. How does, how does coaching or basketball come back into your life and, and, who are the people that were around you that kind of got you back into it? Or was it something that was within you? Like what, what does that look like? Yeah. I mean, the first thing was from, you know, my parents was get a job, <laughs> figure this out. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I, I think, I think my goal was if, if I wasn't going to play college basketball, cause you know, back then it was SFU, UVic and, and UBC and making one of those teams, I, you know, I wasn't good enough to, to make one of those teams out of high school. But college basketball was something I was, you know, thinking about maybe in grade 11, 12. Um, but if that didn't work out, BCIT for broadcasting was kind of what I wanted to do. Um, but then mm -hmm. when I realized, you know, I, I got to work, <laughs> I just, I, I didn't know what to do except for work. So I ended up getting hired at the Real Canadian Superstore. You know, I, I think uh, I almost quit there probably a hundred times in the, the first year, but <laughs> I stuck it out. And then uh, a, a couple of the part-time guys that were older were SFU students and two of the guys were in accounting. And when I found out what they were making an hour, which was like 22 bucks an hour, I was like, you're making what? And I was like, I think back then uh, starting wage was like six bucks. So wow. I was like, you're making how much? Wow. So I ended up sticking it out. And within two years I was full-time and then before I knew it, I was uh, making some big bucks uh, or what I thought was big bucks back then and eventually got into management. And, you know, when I was about 26, I was making a pretty good salary, making good bonuses. I got into management and uh, I thought that was my life. I was just like, you know what, my, my goal is to give my son a, a home. You know, I, you, you try to think of perceptions of what normal is for your, your kids and it's like home you know, have a lawn, have a hoop to play with. And, and so you don't really consider much about your own life. I think, I think that's where mm -hmm. my life was a little different, but having said that sport was still always in my life. Van Oss actually asked me to come back at co to coach at 21. And that was where uh, I got to work with the 95, 96 team. And they were, you know, a top three team in the province. I remember, uh, Richmond, Ladysmith, Bank College, and then Fox was really good. And that was, you know, Richie Morgan, Andre Schmidt, Colin McDonald, that group, uh, super mm. talented group. And uh, somehow I ended up helping out that team. And really, I mean, I had no clue what I was doing. I didn't know anything about basketball, let alone coaching basketball. Uh, but it was neat to be around. And uh, I remember we actually went to Richmond that year in, a, in an exhibition game. And it was, you know, it was a huge rivalry game that, that Richmond High uh, gym was absolutely packed uh i mean uh that was you know kyle russell you know pasha was a 10th grader at that point and uh yeah i, I remember that was probably one of the most exciting warm-ups i had ever been around i mean uh, jeff antwi was a high flyer that ended up going to sfu and and both teams just had so many athletes and so many players you know 10 probably 10 players deep at least on both teams which is unheard of nowadays but 
we actually got absolutely spanked. And we had a guy named uh, Greg Merritt. And I don't know if you remember that name, Greg Merritt, Aaron, but absolutely. Merritt was a base Merritt was a baseball player and he was kind of like our Gino Ojic. You know, if we if we weren't bringing uh, the physicality, they would sub in Greg and and he started a fight in that game and and uh, got kicked out and then Ben Austin Chambers said, "Hey, we want you to go up to the change room and make sure he doesn't get beat up." So <laughs> So I was there to protect him, and uh, I was just like, you know, I'm not going to be able to hold my own if there's a hundred Richmond kids coming in the coming in the change room. But uh, yeah, that was the end of that game. But it was uh, a tremendous season. We ended up that was the first year that the uh, provincial finals were in GM Place, which is Rogers Arena now. And yeah, that was you know nine thousand fans, and that was a crazy crazy experience uh, going on that run, but losing to a very good Kitsilano team um for me so i was just really a fly on the wall and, and observing what chambers and venos did i i remember one time at gm plays actually i never realized how superstitious chambers was so we always rode the exact same route in the school bus every day and if the driver took a wrong turn he'd make him go back and that's how crazy superstitious he was and one time one time after our our, our shoot we uh i actually grabbed the balls by mistake the ball bag and uh he yelled at me he's like you don't touch the balls only i carry the balls and i was like okay coach <laughs> so it was uh it was my first kind of uh my first taste of you know chambers craziness but also brilliance at the same time so it was a lot of fun that's so funny because corbin obviously was a player for me and he can definitely speak to some <laughs> of my superstitious uh, tendencies um some that are not allowed to be told but like at the double A provincials in Kamloops, making them go to the same restaurant three days in a row, four days in a row, sitting in the same seats, ordering the same thing. Same like just, yeah. yeah, these guys still, they still trash me to this day about having to eat, you know, like lasagna for four straight days or whatever, but that's awesome. <laughs> and then, that's and then awesome. so you're, you're coaching there. And then is there a gap in your, in your coaching after 96 or, do you keep going at yeah. Fox or do you get involved in something else? That's right. So, yeah. So 90, that, that same year was my first year. So Kevin Phillips, who was my uh, community QB growing up, he came up with this crazy idea at 21 years old that he wanted to coach community football. And he's like, I want you to come coach with me. And I was like, I was like, you know, besides what we know from our coaches, we really don't know anything. And, and for a 21 year old to want to, kind of coach young kids is, is pretty rare but he had me come out you know we coached the adam team which is eight and nine year olds and uh <laughs> it, it, it was such a fun time and uh i remember we 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 coached a group of kids that we ended up going to the uh, provincial final that year with a bunch of super talented kids and we played in the snow and we lost three zero by a field goal kick from eight and nine year olds. <laughs> and the moral of the story is, is like never under underestimate what kids can do because I mean, getting a kid to line up on side without, uh, you know, going offside, let alone having a snapper that can snap seven yards, hold the, hold the ball and a kid that can kick it over the uprights at eight and nine years old. It, it was incredible. And it actually taught me a lot about sport, actually coaching sport because we actually had a, a guy named Paul O'Leary who's a, an outstanding quarterback uh, that ended up, you know, graduating from Centennial. But he 
he had a tremendous career, and, and we actually taught kids at 9, 10, 11 years old to pass the ball a ton, um, and that was a ton of fun. So I ended up coaching football for 11 years, and uh, I was very lucky. Our The head of our association for Coca-Cola Minor Football was a, a lady by the name of uh, Mary Lou Haran, and she had a big impact not only on my life but more, more in my coaching career. And what she always talked about was, you know, you guys yell at these kids and make them cry, but they believe in you because you guys are one of the few groups of young men that aren't parents coaching in this association and, and everything they, you know, you, you say to them is like, you know, the word of God, basically. And always remember that what you say to them might be the only positive thing they hear during the week. So we had a, we had a lot of kids from adverse backgrounds, uh, low income. Uh, and which is kind of interesting because football, you do have to pay and you got to get equipment and stuff like that. But it was uh, it was a pretty interesting uh, crew of young young boys. <laughs> uh, but it was a ton of fun and coaching on on Sundays for football uh, was pretty awesome. I mean, basketball practice is so much better than football practice, in my opinion. But football games, there's nothing quite like a, a two hour afternoon of football. It's pretty intense and, uh, and it's pretty fun. Mm-hmm. So. I, I love my coaching time, and it, it, it helped me get my coaching levels. Um, you know, I went to – I became a level three football coach. But, uh, yeah, when a, when AJ started growing up, he did play football from eight years old. But at about 10, 11, you know, really started getting the uh, basketball bug. And, and that's when we started looking at, you know, maybe there's a chance he's going to go to Fox. Started talking to Richie and Don again, and, and they got me coaching basketball, and that was kind of – what brought me back. So 2005, 2006, that was uh, kind of when I got back into coaching. And then when AJ got into ninth grade at Fox, so Fox is now nine to 12, Richie actually went down to coach the juniors, which he had never done before. And uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> I knew AJ was going to be in for a rude awakening, come from, you know, a, a middle school to a junior high and, and getting to coach with Rich, but it was uh, an outstanding experience. And, uh, you know, a lot of fun. Mike Hind was running the, the senior boys at that point. So, so yeah, mm-hmm. basketball became a huge passion. And then, uh, you know, eventually he was, you know, he was baseball, soccer, football, and basketball. And, and eventually he had to, you know, trim it down a little bit, but he, he loved all those sports growing up. Yeah. And was that something now that like, you're the father and like, are you pushing him to do all that? Or is he kind of just like into it all and you're supporting it to the point where it's just like, okay, we got to we got to figure out what works for us. But was, was there a passion within yeah. him or did you feel like you had to force it a bit or? I, I think you're always going to go with what, what your kids love to do. Um, I mean, for us as parents, and you're going to get to f- find this out pretty soon is the more sports your kids are playing, you're doing a lot of driving. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, for football, you're, you're playing all over the lower mainland. You know, we were going to Tawasin, to Aldergrove uh squamish you're, you're all over the place uh but that was a lot of fun because it was only one day a week considering i was such a basketball fanatic i i was shocked to hear out i hear about like the junior grizzlies program because when you and i were kids there was no basketball like organized basketball for kids in you know grade five and six and seven and now that's commonplace now so kids are pretty lucky yeah. uh to have that so when I found out about that, that was kind of when we got him into some youth basketball and, and uh, you know, he was doing Tri-City Camp with Ben Austin Chambers, which is pretty cool. But you just never know. Um, you never know which way they want to go. And I think the first year I coached him, uh, it was in the Steve Nash League. 
that uh, took over the Junior Grizzlies program. And I remember we had a pretty hot team there. We were pretty excited. And uh, he said, you know, Dad, I actually want to take a break from basketball. And <laughs> and I was like, excuse me? I was So that was the first time it kind of <laughs> hit, like, maybe he doesn't want to play. And uh, what he wanted to do was go play roller hockey with his with his boys. And uh, so he actually joined a roller hockey league that was like in the Poco Rec Center for that spring. And uh, when he when he was done with that basketball, just he came back uh, to basketball with a vengeance and that, you know, he tried out for the uh, Center for Performance that year and that that really kind of helped his basketball career take off a little bit. So, hmm. so yeah, it was, uh, it was kind of a neat thing, but it also goes to show that, you know, burnout can happen, especially if you got a crazy dad like me. So, <laughs> or if you're just Dennis Rodman and you need to go take off to Vegas for like <laughs> 81 hours, come back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So you obviously are working through the ranks and you're involved in the Fox program. And then how does the conversation happen? Like, Hey, Steve, we, we would like you to take over at the senior level. Like, well, what, where do we get to that point? Yeah. You know, when dads get involved in programs, I think there, there's always a few eyebrows raised, but you know, for me, when I, when I was working with Richie, it, it really uh, fulfilled a passion. And because I was coaching football, I mean, I already had kind of that coaching bug in me and, and, and the two sports actually had a lot of crossover for me, like the organization, the attention to detail and practice. I mean, it, it, it really was, you know, stroking a fire in me, uh, in the coaching bug. So when AJ got into 10th grade, he, uh, moved up to the senior boys and Rich at that time had actually taken a stint, uh, as an assistant to Deb Huband at, at UBC. So it was actually right. Mark Prinster and Mike Hind as the head coach and Mark Brinster and myself as assistants with the senior boys. And, uh, it was a pretty young group. It was mostly grade tens and 11s that, that Mike had. And, uh, we had an okay year. I think we kind of, we felt like we underachieved a little bit. And then the following year, uh, Rich decided to come back. So, so we had Rich and we had, uh, uh, Omid Devani. We had, you know, a pretty good group, Stu Mitchell, Taylor, mm-hmm. Colin. We had, we had a, a bunch of six, five guys that could all just play and, and Chambers had coached them before. So, so we had a pretty fun year that year. And uh, I remember reconnecting with you that year because we played in the, uh, the North Shore tournament at Hansworth. And I remember we had a guy, Omid, who forgot his shorts and Richie was just giving it to him on the bench. And I remember you walking behind saying, Hey man, I've been there. <laughs> so I remember seeing you in that tournament and, uh, you know, just laughing. So for me, it was, uh, seeing the intensity of the high school, uh, program, especially when you're at Fox, you know, there's a lot of intensity and high expectation and, you know, being in a program where there's high expectation is, is pretty special. I mean, at times, you know, it, 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 it feels like it sucks, but you know, when you're expected to play in the big tournaments and you're expected to win, it's it's such a different environment. And it's something that uh, I'm really grateful for to be a part of because, you know, high expectations um, is important. I think, uh, you know, helps us achieve what we want to achieve and, and uh, it makes us not settle for less. So, so that was kind of a neat experience. And then uh, AJ graduated uh, with Chambers as his head coach. And then the following year, he he uh, got the job at UVic uh, working with the women's team. So, mm-hmm. oh, sorry, that's wrong. That's wrong. I'm I'm skipping ahead a little bit. So, 
the following year, Mike Hines' son came up with Brett McDonald. So we had Scott Hines, Matt Trimble, who was a tremendous baseball player, and uh, Brett McDonald move up. And, and Mike's just like, we don't have a junior boys coach. You know, we'd love for you to go down and, and head coach the junior boys. And, and with the amount of dads on that team, <laughs> I think it was a great decision for me. And I was like, you know, I had spent two or three years with Chambers as an assistant. And it was a good time for me to kind of, you know, be a head coach at that level for the first time and, and go down to the junior boys. So I loved it. So it was a ton of fun. Mm. Uh, we had a lunch bucket crew. Uh, at that time, we had a pretty talented player by the name of uh, Ryan Slater that, that moved up to the senior boys. And then we had a bunch of grade 9s and 10s that were just loving basketball. So we had a ton of fun with that group. And, and uh, you know, we didn't go far. I think back then, the Provincials, you only got like one one or two spots out of the Fraser Valley. And the tournament that year was at St. Michael's. And for the junior boys, a lot of teams can't afford to go. And uh, But for yeah. us, I don't think we were good enough to go that year. But it was uh, it was quite a journey. Yeah, yeah. So That's yeah. Awesome. So I did two years with the junior boys, and then uh, when that group was going into grade eleven, that was the year that Rich got the got the stint at UVic with the women's program. So that mm-hmm. was the twenty eleven twenty twelve year. So we had graduated four pretty talented grade twelves, and that was Brett McDonald, Scott Hind, Matt Trimble, and I'm forgetting somebody. We had a ton of grade elevens coming back, and and. Uh, they asked me if I wanted to do it, and I said, yes, sir. So I guess one thing that kind of changed during that time was, uh, you know, when AJ was in ninth or 10th grade, I decided to make a life change, and my wife encouraged me to go back to school. And uh, so during that time, I was actually in school full-time and, and working as a personal trainer on the side. So so there was a, a lot going on in our house, and, and uh, you know, AJ is a teenager, Going through that uh, was was a pretty unique time for for our family, but uh, yeah, so that was kind of what was going on. Crazy. So then, are you telling me that the first year you were the head coach um, of a senior team, you guys won the provincial championship? Yeah, I mean it. Uh, <laughs> I, I think this group, this group, I mean, this group had chambers, and uh, there was no doubt that his uh, his footprints were all over this group of guys. You know, I think preseason we were ranked number nine. And so, mm-hmm. you know, we weren't expected to win. Um, but I, we, we just had such a tight-knit group and uh, and a bunch of guys that were selfless. And then we had a, a star player in Ryan Slater who was just a good player. I mean, he just did simple things really well. And, you know, he was a, a very good athlete for, for BC High School. And, and uh, I mean, I think I knew we had something special because the first week we always opened with Van College and Van College, I think, was the number three team in the province. We beat them in a very close game at home. And then later in the week, we went to WJ Mowat that had a really talented team and they were like number four, I believe, and beat them in their gym. And then on the Saturday, we played uh, number one, which was Kelowna, and that was Braxton Bunts. And, um, Mm-hmm. Mitch, why am I why am I forgetting Mitch's Goodwin. last name? Mitch Goodwin. Yeah, Mitch Goodwin. So, so they were uh, a super talented team, and uh, we beat them at our place. So, we we were pretty battle tested the first week, and I somehow came came away with three wins, and and we went from like number eight or nine to number one because you know Howard Howard Samir is going to put us at number one for some reason. So now we have uh, a big X on our back. So I, I remember this because. The following week, 
following week we went to Victoria and that was the first time uh, since I was a little kid going back to Victoria and there was a bit of a, a built-in excuse for the mainland teams that go over there that they just never succeed when they go over there but we we were the new number one team in the province and we were going to play Chris Franklin's Oak Bay team and then the next day we were playing Coach Hyde Lay's uh, St. Michael's team and I remember we stayed in a hotel and I slipped I, I printed off a giant bullseye and put put bullseyes under all our kids' doors, and they just woke up laughing, going, "What is this, coach?" And I said, "That that's what's on your back for the rest of the season now." And uh, we played Chris Franklin's Oak Bay team. Little did I know that because Chambers was at UVic, Chris Franklin was talking to him every day. So everything that we ran, Chris Franklin knew, and they pummeled us, uh, beat us by nineteen in their gym. And uh, I remember being pretty hot and heated and then finding out later that Chambers gave him all my stuff. Um, and then the next day, uh, going to St. Michael's, and, and we lost by 19 again. So, you know, a typical Fox team, I mean, it was, uh, and what I mean by that is, you know, we've always prided ourselves on hard work and, and getting that lunch pail out and, and, and putting our hard work in every day. And, and as soon as we thought we were hot, we got spanked. So, it was the best thing that ever happened to that group of guys for sure. Um, and then it was, uh, you know, a, a bit of a struggle. I mean, we had such a strong conference with Pitt Meadows and Maple Ridge, like we always do. Glen Eagle and Centennial were always very good. Port Moody was decent that year as well. And then we had some really good uh, battles with Walnut Grove, but we, we never beat Walnut or Pitt in the Valley that year. So uh, we lost overtime to them both once, and then we played. Jaden Cohey's Walnut Grove team uh, in the semifinals of the Fraser Valleys. And, and because we had lost to them twice already, I decided to switch our matchups. And uh, that was a bad idea. And they, they spanked us bad in, in the semifinals. So we had to, uh, we ended up placing fourth after losing to Tamanowis in the third place game and just squeaked into the BCs. So we knew we were going to have a tough draw, but. I knew if we could get it together, we, we, we'd still have a decent run, and, and we, we ended up having a great run. So just talk a little bit about, obviously, you also had you know, just a little bit of heartbreak in 2015 too, but what is it, like I think a lot of high school coaches obsess about you know, hanging a blue banner in their gym, and you know, the, the year before, or before you guys lost in that final, you know, we were fortunate enough to win, and it was just like there was you know, the team that Corbin played on in high school would probably have given it pretty good to the team that you know I coached that won it right so like talk a little bit about that and what was the difference and and just touch on too I think you made a good interesting point about having the kids have expectations and pushing them and challenging them and knowing Fox too where you guys aren't afraid to take 13 14 15 kids knowing that they might not get a lot of playing time but just them being part of something bigger than themselves you know, if my question makes sense, like, can you touch on all of that a little bit? So like one is what, yeah. what at the program in terms of challenging the kids you think um, was a focal point? And then two, how did that pay off for you when you went on that run, knowing that at the start of the year, you weren't even teen on anyone's radar, then you knock a couple of teams off and you're kind of like, okay, we have it. We kind of don't, but we're still teenage boys and we're not sure if we can do this. Right. So just, you know, touch on a little bit of all that, yeah. if you don't mind. Aaron, you would know, I mean, and it's something I didn't realize a bit until I got into teaching myself was, you know, what, what the high school experience is really all about. And uh, I think when you're an outside coach, um, you know, my focus was just on 
practicing and winning. I mean, that's, that's what I was there for. I mean, even though I had a pretty good relationship with our guys, I think, you know, you, you don't understand um, what that high school experience is about and, and how the basketball team is a big part of the fabric of, of the high school experience for not only the players, but for the, the kids attending games and what that means, like, you know, for Friday nights or whatever it is. So, um, so yeah, I remember that team, we had 17 players. So uh, we had four or five guys from the football team. We had a 6'9", 340-pound kid who went to Idaho, Mason Woods. And, uh, you know, I said, you know, he didn't really want to play, but he had uh, a little bit of skill, soft hands. And, and I said, you know, if we got to match up with a Braxton Bunce or, or a Cam Smythe, I mean, he would sure come in handy. So he, he, he bought in and, and knew he, some games he might not get in at all, but, uh, there was, we had 17 kids like that, that were selfless. And, and, and one thing Van Oss taught me as a coach is that, um, you know, making the team is, is, is pretty special. Um, and for all those kids that, you know, just got to play in the Langley event center or for you and I, that got to play lucky enough to play in the Agrodome. I mean, just being in that environment for, for those four or five days is, is pretty special. And whether you're playing or not is, is, is kind of irrelevant, right? Sitting on the bench and, and sharing that time with your high school friends is, is really special. So I, I was all in on that. I totally understood that. So, you know, that's what it was all about. Um, you know, back then we had a week off to prepare for the BCs. And uh, I think at that point in the year, Pitt Meadows was probably the most consistent team. They beat uh, Walnut Grove in the Fraser Valley Championship game. I think they had only lost two games all year. Um, and they were looking like the team to beat. And then, uh, you know, when I saw the draw, I was like, oh, my goodness. We had to go through Oak Bay, who we lost two by 19. Pitt Meadows, mm-hmm. who we lost two twice. Um, White Rock Christian, who was being coached by uh, John Dykstra, but he ended up leaving right. the program towards the end of the season, and uh, and then Walnut Grove. So we had a, a pretty crazy run, but I kind of felt like if, 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 you know, that first game is pretty important, and if you can mm-hmm. somehow, you know, deal with the shock of playing in the big arena and, and kind of work out the nerves, then sometimes you get, it's all about, you know, playing in that arena. It's so different than playing in a high school, right? So it's, it's kind of overcoming that first game. And, and, uh, we, we had a pretty good game plan going in and what was crazy about that game. I remember they, I can't remember the gentleman's name now, but they had a really good volleyball player that was about six, six. And we saw him at the banquet the night before and he had a, he had a sling on and we're just like, what's going on? And, and, uh, coach Franklin tells me he's, he was fooling around on the monkey bars and, and, uh, dislocated his shoulder. So we are just like, hmm, interesting, but you know, we weren't going to get excited about that, but it, it kind of gave us like even a little bit more motivation to come out and play as hard as we could. So, so we had a, mm-hmm. a, a good game and that was one of our closer games. So we, we played early in the morning against Stoke Bay, got by them. And then, uh, we, we were matched up with, uh, you know, a legend, Rich Goulet, who, you know, as a player, you know, I just got to talk about Rich real quick as, as a player, you know, the growly guy yelling all game that you competed against. And we had some great games when I was in high school against Pitt, you know, my, my senior year, Scott Walton at Pitt Meadows team played Nash's team in the final. And, and Scott was kind of my nemesis, you know, a guy that was a lot bigger and stronger than I was. Um, 
when I was in high school, but I had to somehow guard him and I was some skinny six, 470 pound kid. So, but, mm-hmm. uh, you know, had a lot of respect for Goulet, but also as a player, you, you kind of just don't get it right. You, you just, for me back then, you know, we didn't really, we weren't friends with other players on the other team. It was all about rivalry and, and Goulet was the head of a huge monster for us. Uh, but when I got into the coaching ranks and, uh, you know, just got talking with him and just understood how much time he put in and how much he had been around the game. You, you just learn so much, just every conversation you have with a guy like that. So, so we ended up pulling kind of a, an upset. And I remember, you know, Rich, I don't think their team had played a bad game all year. And, uh, and uh, we had a huge upset. And I think that game was like 66 to 30 or something like that. It was ridiculous. Like it was, uh, everybody was in shock, including us, but you know, we had played against the flex offense so much that I, I was pretty confident if we could hang in that we could win. But it was uh, it was just a bit of a, a one-off landslide for us that game. So that yeah. set up a game in the semifinals against White Rock. And then obviously he gets to the final. and Oh, Corbs is yeah. doing his research as he talks. Look at him. He's got that big booklet. You get to the final and then lots of interesting timing and things happen. And then, you know, you end up winning the provincial yeah. championship. And what does that feel like as a – you know, still young in the coaching game. How how are you feeling? And what, you know, yeah. talk about the emotions of that. I, I think when you're in the moment during that ride, you're just, you, you just keep going and, and uh, you know, you, you try not to screw it up. I think there was a, there, there's kind of that feeling and maybe you know what I'm talking about, Aaron, is just, there's kind of that feeling just amongst the team that they can kind of do this. Like your coaching at that point is kind of over. Um, I mean, there might be some moments in the game where you got to make a, a big decision or a big call, but for the most part, there was just this feeling around our team, how we prepared going in and, and, uh, they were playing well. So, you know, obviously Walnut Grove, because we had played them uh, two weeks prior in the Fraser Valley semifinal and they, they spanked us. And a big part of that was kind of my coaching mistakes with, you know, who we had matched up with Jaden, you know, we hadn't beat them. So I, I was like, I'm going to try something different. And it was just the wrong decision. And uh, mm-hmm. they came out and just shot the lights out and played really well. But I just said, you know, we're going to go back to our original matchup. And, and that was actually sl- having Slater guard Jaden. And, and, you know, nobody could really stop Jaden. He was just so talented. Uh, but just Slater being, you know, six seven, really bouncy and just a longer athlete on, on their point guard was just going to, I thought, the best thing that we could do. So. Yeah, so it was just it was a just a game where if we we hung in it in a half, I thought you know you know we'll see what happens and and uh, I think we went into half with a one point lead and I think the lead changed probably eleven or twelve times, so it was a heck of a game. And then with about two minutes and nine seconds left, we actually got down nine. And uh, I'll never forget this because you you know you watch the broadcast, you know you're obviously in the moment, but you know a couple of days later I watched the broadcast and. And they pan to our athletic director, Rhonda Trunkfield, Mark Prinster, Don Van Oss, and Chambers, and they were all had their arms crossed like this it's over. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I, I think everybody thought at that point it was over. But we uh I mean we practiced a lot of situational stuff. You know, we didn't trap a lot against Walnut Grove, but we had some things up our sleeve and, and we went on a huge uh eleven to two run to finish the game and you know got got the game to to one point with um a timeout and i think about 15 seconds left and we actually just ran a play that we had run all game and we're getting really good looks and and uh we missed a wide open three with about four seconds left 
and a guy named Tanner Moss, who was, uh, you know, one of our tall shooting guards who wasn't a great defender, wasn't a great rebounder, but he came up with the, the biggest offensive rebound in his life and kicked that ball out to a guy named Jesse Crooks, who, you know, he, he was your typical Terry Fox kid, kind of, you know, grew up in Poco and, and uh, was a bench player who eventually became a starter by the second half of his grade 12 year, but he had, you know, the biggest shot of, you know, my high school coaching career, that's for sure, with about three and a half seconds left and, and uh, you know, the new FIBA rules, which, you know, stopped the clock and, and let them advance the ball to, the, uh, to the, uh, the offensive end of the court. So we knew the game wasn't over, uh, but, mm-hmm. you know, hitting that shot after being down nine in the provincials, I, you know, we thought we, thought we were going to win it. So uh, it was crazy. But, uh, I mean, we almost, we almost lost it. I mean, uh, I, I remember because Jaden inbounded the ball and, and we did something weird on the inbound where we lost him and he actually got the ball driving baseline and ended up stepping on, uh, I think, Trevor Casey's foot and slipped out of bounds and we got the ball back. And, and uh, you know, I think our fans rushed the floor when there was like 0.9 on the clock or something like that. So they had to get the fans off and then bring them back. And, and then obviously that was a huge celebration. But yeah, it was such a surreal time. And just, just being proud because I know it's so hard. I mean, as you know, it's so hard to get there. And for Fox, you know, we hadn't won since 92, 93. So it was a bit of a drought for us, even though we had so many. 93, 94. Working. 93, 94, sorry. Yes. 93, 94. <clears throat> and, uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, had some really good teams, obviously, 95, 2000. I mean, we had so many teams. We had a couple teams that lost in the final. Um, mm-hmm. so it's, it, it just makes you realize getting there is so hard. And then if you can win, it's just, uh, a lot of things got to align and, and things aligned for us that night. For sure. And then you stay with Fox for the next few years, ups and downs. And then you find yourself 2015, you're in the, what is now the four A tier, you're in the final again. And as a coach, um, what's changed for you and what, what is, something that you've developed that's got your team there at that point, or is it kind of the same thing? You know, obviously your learning and understanding of the game has changed, but um, are your core values and philosophies still the same? And, and we won't talk too much about the final game, but you know, just, I think, I think it says a lot to be able to get, just to get back to the final again. And, and where are you as a coach at that point, after all that, you know, after having success, what changes there? I don't think I talk about it much, but I mean, there's got to be a little, there's a little bit of chip on my shoulder because I think when we did win, I think, uh, you know, Van Austin Chambers had a lot to do with that group. I mean, and so I, 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 there's no doubt I did feel that, you know, I I still wanted to prove myself. So that group of kids, you know, I had for three years, four of those guys that were seniors, Jamari, Andy Sow, uh, Mike West. And Liam Hancock, those four guys I brought up as 10th graders uh, two years prior when we were in the BC. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I I grew with that group of guys and, and, and I wanted to prove that, you know, 2012 wasn't a fluke. And, you know, that year was a, a, a ton of really good teams. I mean, the, the Yale team that beat us, they weren't really on the radar much until the last month of the year. They had they had lost a lot of games. Um but, you know, Jaquin Benabar was was uh, unbelievable in the tournament and just another guy that rose to the occasion. And, um, mm-hmm. But, I mean, that was such a special experience. I mean, I just, you know, loved that group of kids. And, and uh, you know, it's hard because we, uh, we had, you know, I try to have a similar routine. You know, we had game day shoots at Fox. We, uh, 
you know, we had planned to go to Boston Pizza like when we had won in 2012. And I said, you know, win or lose, we're going to Boston Pizza. And we, we still did, but it was like a morgue for sure. Uh, but, mm-hmm. but uh, I mean, it was still such a special year. I mean, uh, some other memories, like we won the Legal Beagle Tournament and no Fox team had won in, uh, in it seemed like forever. So we, we, we had so many uh, positives that year. We went to Hawaii. We, we had so many positive experiences. And even though, you know, losing in a final, it, it burns you, but it it um, it, do, it doesn't take away from an outstanding experience that you know you're a part of a team and, and got to that you know playing on the last Saturday of the year. That's just such a great experience. So, but sure. uh, as a coach, as a coach though, there's there's definitely some things I learned and and uh, wish I would have done different. But that's how you learn. I mean, you learn by getting burned and, and uh, adding things to your toolbox. So if you get into a situation where you have a, such a talented player. I mean, it doesn't mean that you can stop a talented player. I don't think a coach can ever really stop a talented player, but there might be some things that I would have done a little different. But at the same time, you know, in the mo- moment, I I trusted my guys and our team. And, and uh, you know, we, we were without our, our best player. I mean, Liam Hancock uh, messed his ankle up about four weeks before playing Oak Bay. And, and uh, there, there was times where we didn't think we were going to get through the valley and uh, you know, some guys really stepped up to help us get there, and and we were playing really mm-hmm. well going into going into that final. But uh, you know, Bennett Bar putting up forty four that uh, he earned that. There's no doubt about that. So yeah, and that that sure. team was that that team was surrounded by a bunch of guys that were like Fox kids. I mean, there was four just role players on that Yale team that were outstanding, and they were tough, and they uh, they flew around and they did what they needed to do, which was rebound defend you know wear down our best players and, and they did that and they were full credit for the win so yeah so it was a it was, it was a heck of experience and it was great to get back and and uh, yeah it would have been nice to get another one for our, our program at that time but uh you know it was, a, it was a great run with a great group of guys and then you coach one more year at fox right and then is that when you apply for the sfu job yeah no that was actually yeah. that spring so uh 2015 was the spring uh, my last year at Fox, and uh, that's when I got got the call from uh, from Virgil uh, Virgil Hill, who gave me an, an opportunity to come coach at SFU. And and uh, I mean, it was a it was a, a humbling call. I mean, I, I remember because uh, obviously I was super excited. Um, you know, not playing at the university level—that's something I always questioned myself. You know, I said, you know, mm-hmm. how. It's it's tough, you know. Respect at the next level is 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 super important, and you know you want to be able to relate to your players. But you know, I soon realized it's really about what you know and and how much you care about people. Mm-hmm. And you know, Virgil also confided in me. He said, you know, you know, he's like, you've had success. You know, you love the game. You look the part. Um, and he gave me an opportunity, so I'm really, really grateful for that opportunity he gave me. Yeah, and it's interesting too, right? You think of like rich chambers who we're talking about and we're definitely going to get on the podcast and it's just like the whole idea of like you had to have played at a certain level to understand the game it's like have you ever seen that guy shoot a shot oh my god it's like a disaster <laughs> right <laughs> yeah never yeah. never mind the elmer exactly. fudd accent right so i think you you <laughs> nailed it it's it's more <laughs> it's more how you able to get whether you're high school kids or, or post-secondary kids, how do you create that culture and how do you get them buy, to buy in and how do you treat them? And then it comes down to when the games, the games happen, do you know your stuff, 
regardless of what level you played at. And after that one year, what's that like? You know, I think one of the things that, you know, I want to touch on before we get out of here and talk about is just how SFU is unique in terms of, right, you're not a U sports school, you're an NCAA school. So right off the bat, not not having any involvement in post-secondary basketball and you're thrown into a school that's competing at an American level, what are some of the things that you notice right off the bat, whether it be how the players play or how the referees referee or what travel's like or anything? Um, Because you're probably just soaking it all in in that first year because it's all brand new to you. Yeah, I mean, it was uh, a tremendous learning curve. I mean, um, there's so much outside of, practice in the games that you got to account for i mean you're dealing with young men guys that can transfer guys that you know are on scholarship there there, there's so much you got to account for but for me i mean the opportunity was huge but also i mean i i grew up watching sfu i mean i came up to sfu every weekend and played when i was in grade 10 11 12 you know you play the football guys on a sunday night or so I had a bit of a connection there, and 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 I, I watched guys like Virgil and Dave Monroe and and uh, Russ Field and and all the stars that were kind of there when we were in you know ten, eleven, twelfth grade, and and uh, back then they were NAIA school. So you know the first thirty five years NAIA, so they were used to that U.S. competition, and then from two thousand to two thousand ten, they 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 were in the U sport or what was CIS at that point. So. It was kind of an interesting thing. I mean, it's it, it, it's unfortunate that we don't have, you know, some of the local rivalries, but the competition is is something I love. So, um, you know, a lot of people told me when I had a a chance to become head coach, it was um, it it's it's like you know you you gonna you have the toughest job in Canada, and I and I kind of laughed and I said, you know, it's uh, you know coaching at that level is is a blessing, um, but it's a challenge, right? And uh, you know, mm-hmm. for a kid at Fox that, you know, we were used to winning, we expected to win. Um, and then when you're taking on a team that was, you know, one and 19 and two and 24 overall, you know, it's, uh, it, it, it is tough, but at the same time, you just, you have a winning mentality and, and, uh, you know, expectations we talked about earlier, you know, high, high expectations, you know, and, and, and bringing that attitude to the guy. So you got to find some guys that are, are like-minded and, and uh, want to go through that grind and, and get, get the program to that level. And that, that's hard to find because everybody wants mm-hmm. instant gratification and doesn't want to grind. So, so that was the tough part. And, and we're, we're slowly overcoming that. Yeah, just a just a minor part hey, is the tough part there. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's huge. And talk about too, like, I don't want to use the term disarray, but you're stepping into a program that had I don't know, two or three coaches in the last three, four years, right? And and the records didn't speak for itself. And then all of a sudden, you know, so you step into the head coaching role and get the job. Is it more about talent or is it, okay, let's figure out from a standpoint, regardless of who we pull in and, and get a jersey on their back, what are our core values and who are we? So like, is it more about who you are as a coach and what you want for a program, or is it more about bringing that talent in and trying to make that all work at the same time? Yeah. I mean, that's a great question. I mean, it, it's, it doesn't take a rocket scientist at, at any level to walk in a gym and find out who the most talented players are. So, and find out where those talented players are going or, and why they're going. Um, so you, you do have to create a niche and, and, and find out 
what makes SFU special. So, I mean, living in Vancouver, I mean, we're all really blessed. And I think, uh, you know, I, I travel to Ontario at least twice a year for recruiting and, and love getting back in the, in the YVR airport. And, and that's the same for when we travel and we're in Montana, Idaho and in Oregon and Alaska and Washington state. I mean, I just love coming back to Vancouver. So selling Vancouver is, is not hard. Um, even for mm-hmm. us kids, I think, I think, um, and no, and, and we're a big school. I mean, um, you know, Ohio state, I think is only around 30,000 and, you know, SFU is at about 37,000. So we're a big school with, uh, lots of opportunity and, uh, you know, we're in a great city. So I think that part is, uh, an easy sell. Um, but at the end of the day, it comes down to scholarships. So, so we're just trying to get our, our program to where we're, we're fully funded and, and, uh, have a lot of money for the best kids out there. And, and, and we've grown that. And, and with our athletic director, Teresa Hansen, who's done a great job kind of sharing our vision of where we want to get to. And, and it's, it's small steps, but I think the big difference though, between Canada and, and the division we play in is, you know, we're, we're, we're in division two, we have 315 teams. So, <laughs> you know, the chance of getting to the national championship is, is so tough. Um, and getting through our West region, which is there are two conferences in California, plus, um, you know, the great West, uh, great Northwest athletic conference that we play in. It's, uh, it's a grind, right. And it's tough to get through, but, uh, you know what? I have the memories of the Fraser Valley North to think of, um, you know, that, that's why we were so good because we played the Pitt Meadows and the Rich Goulets and the Ken Dockendorfs and the Tony Scotts. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, whether it was Steve Petter for the Casalages at Centennial, like we had a tough conference and, and, uh, getting through that conference made you battle tested. And if you did make it through, you knew you had a right to be where you got to. So I think, uh, I, I really mm-hmm. hold on to those kind of those core beliefs and, and believe, you know, we'll get there one day, but we got to earn it and, and it takes time and it's tough to do that. But I think when we get there, it'll be uh, really exciting. Great answer. A couple more for you. So, and I don't want to jinx things here, but. Do you feel like, and obviously as coaches, we're never, never satisfied. We have many sleepless nights. We're always questioning ourselves and what we're doing. Um, do you feel like you're starting to turn the corner a little bit? Do you see the culture changing? Have you graduated a lot of guys this year and are worried about next year? Or what's your mindset going into each season and, and what keeps you rooted in your foundation so you can continue to grow the program? Yeah, I mean, I, uh, I'm jacked up all the time. I mean, I think, I think until you win the net, like how, how can you not be jacked up unless you, you win a national championship, right? There's always uh, that mm-hmm. carrot there. And, uh, you know, sometimes that carrot seems really, really far away. Um, but I mean, we made huge strides. I mean, uh, a good example is last year, you know, we had our first winning season. Uh, we beat two teams in our conference that were both ranked in the top 25. So there, there was, uh, you know, a part of the process that, you know, we were, we were starting to peck away and, and, uh, you know, we brought those same five starters back with some really talented freshmen this year, but our conference is, there's not a team in our conference that you walk in the gym and you're going to beat by 20 or or 30. So, so you got to prepare each and every night and every night's a battle. And then, you know, you have the big travel, we're in a big geographic area, so we're flying and and away for you know four days so it's it, it's a real grind for all the players in the conference but you know we're all in the same boat so um we brought back those guys and and, and we had some real big wins early in the season but you know i think i think we underachieved a little bit i think we uh 
we we you know we we felt at Christmas we had a chance to win the conference and 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 go to the West Region and and uh, you know a couple injuries and and a uh, couple losses here and there and and we just didn't reach our potential. We finished with the same record, you know, uh, another win overall, but we we finished with a similar record and and didn't make the conference tournament. So so that mm-hmm. is disappointing. But I just think we're at a point now where that's where our expectations are. And when I came in, I said our 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 minimum should be the expectation to make the conference tournament every year. And then once we get there, then we'll worry about winning it. So that's kind of where we're at. I mean, we we graduated four guys that I had for four years, and that's kind of where I want to get to, where we have program guys that uh, you know are going to stick through it. So our point guard Provenzano, who who is a guy who never pass an eye test but he was a guy that we needed you know mm-hmm. he set set a conference uh record as for minutes played you know points assists he he did a lot uh in his career with sfu graham miller who came from charles best who you know when i first got there i was just like i don't know if this guy's gonna be able to play but you know this spent so much time in the weight room and and was a heck of a shooter um, you know dealt with concussions broken nose uh, torn acl but you know he mm-hmm. he was a guy that actually played for Van Oss in the Ravens uh, club program, so he knew kind of our Terry yep. Fox mentality, and and he was one of those type of kids that we need to get through those tough seasons. Um, so he had a great senior year, and uh, two other guys we brought in: Othniel Spence from uh, Markham, Ontario, and then a guy who came from Spokane, a guy named Michael Hannon, who was a, a total Terry Fox guy. And 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 I'll I'll briefly tell you his story. He. Uh, he was a guy that played junior college. His grandfather used to be the head of our our, our conference. Uh, he used to be the commissioner. So he came from a total basketball family. And uh, mm-hmm. he wanted to transfer to our school. And I said, you know, you're 6'2", you're skinny. You're, uh, I just don't see what you're going to bring at our level. So he asked to come try out. He tried out. And, you know, he said, who's your best player? And uh, that year we had a guy named Kadar Wright who led the conference in scoring. and, and uh, you know, just wanted to go toe to toe against him for ninety feet for an hour and a half scrimmage, and we're just like, "Hmm, it's pretty tough." So um, the following year, I said, "We have no scholarship for you. You'd have to walk on." He's like, "I'm going to take a year, and I'm just going to lift and get stronger." So he took a year off, and uh, I think he gained about four pounds. But he he came <laughs> back, uh, you know, lanky, skinny, and uh, that year we played Division One Idaho out in Moscow. And uh, that that year, Shook was with me, and uh, it was a pretty funny story for a couple of reasons. So one, I get there, and I have some type of food poisoning where I just I I, I can't even get up for the shoot at Saturday. I'm like Shook, I am on my deathbed, and uh, I don't know what I ate, but I, I I couldn't make the team meal. It was that bad. And uh, another crazy Did five thing guys happened. deliver a pizza to your door. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, uh, yeah. So it was, uh, and, and the other thing it was, uh, the game was during exams, and we had three guys that uh, the profs wouldn't let them miss their final exam. Um, you know, academics comes first, and we ended up going to Idaho with eight guys. So we're we're on a wow. Division One uh, televised game, and you know we're looking at the warmups, going, "Wow, uh, this is going to be interesting." Well, our our guys played really well, and we actually had a three point lead at half. And we ended up losing by about a dozen. Uh, and Chuck got us through the, 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 the shoot and had us prepared to play them. But uh, this 
that night there was a massive snowstorm. And uh, I, I come back at halftime and this Michael Hannon guy had driven out from Spokane to watch us. And I'm like, how'd you get out? He's like, I drove. And I was like, in the snow? And it was like two feet of snow out there. And uh, he's like, I really want to come to SFU, coach. And uh, so that, that guy joined our program the following year and, and uh, was a big part of our turnaround last year. Um, you know, we had six or seven wins down the stretch where, you know, he just had such a huge impact in the game. And that's just a kid that did it all with hard work. So, so I, mm -hmm. I think that's a good lesson for everybody. Everybody can have a role on a team and you, you got to see what a team needs and, and uh, bring that to your team. And that's here. It's like, we're on the same page here because it ties into my next question. And that's amazing story. And, you know, looking at your roster today, I think you had 10 people, 10 guys from Canada, two from BC, obviously, um, Graham, I remember coaching against him, uh, when he was in high school and then, uh, jazz as well, who ended up having a solid year for you too. And I think maybe, and no offense to you or anything, I think maybe a lot of our local kids are sitting there overlooking SFU as an option. And, you know, you just signed a uh, Hunter Cruz Dumont. Um, and so what, what exactly, what advice would you give a local BC kid or a Canadian kid? Cause this, we want this podcast to, you know, we're going to focus on moving it out east as well but what what advice and what are you looking for and, and what do you think that a kid maybe they see u sports a, a little more and they know okay this is what i need to get to that level but are there a couple different things that you're looking for at that at, at sfu or that they think they need to have or i don't even know what your answer would be yeah. but i'm just interested to hear your thoughts yeah i mean i mean we're we're a high academic institution so i think uh what makes SFU tougher, you know, an average student is that there's just not a lot of fluffy programs. Um, the programs are pretty academic and you got to have very good grades um, to get in. So that right off the bat narrows down our pool because if you're a C plus average high school student, you're just not going to be able to get into SFU. So that that's part of it. The next part is, you know, recruiting is so international now, even though I would love to have 15 boys from BC, um, that's just not always the case that every year we're going to have, you know, five guys from BC that can make our team. So, um, there's no doubt that we want the best local kids. Um, you know, we were all over a guy like Dominic, uh, Dominic Perlin, who was an outstanding player in BC this year. And we did everything we could to get him to SFU and, and, uh, ended up getting a great, uh, you know, uh, experience and, and recruited by Lehigh uh, in Pennsylvania. And that's going to be an outstanding uh, experience for him. But, you know, that's kind of the, the type of player we're recruiting, kind of the kids that are going to be the low division one players. Those are the kind of kids we need to compete in our conference. And then for BC kids that are maybe not at that level, we see potential. Um, you know, you, you're going to get better playing against better players every day. So, um, and, and there's going to be kids every year. So I think for Hunter is a great example. I mean, he's a very good student. He's got size, length, and, you know, his, his body is going to get stronger over the next three or four years. But he's shown up until this point in his career that he's a very good player and he's one of the best in BC. So I, I think some guys just got to see the numbers. I mean, even though you see a 12 or 14 man roster, you know, each program's probably only taking about three or four guys each year. So are you one of the best in Canada? Uh, and that, that's a tough thing to do. So, uh, mm -hmm. but what's mm -hmm. great about what's happened, uh, you know, when you and I were playing, I mean, there was only UVic, UBC, 
and uh, SFU available. So if you looked mm-hmm. at the talent at the college level, and it's hard to believe guys like yourself, Randy Knorr, I mean, so so many guys that you're like. Novell Thomas. Is- Novell Thomas, yeah. Is he still um, the assist leader? He is still the assist leader in the four-year era. Yeah, Sean Burke right. played at Argyle, got that extra right. year during that uh, the time, and, and he he exceeded that. But uh, mm-hmm. Novell still has a four-year assist. Yeah, and Mikey Provenzano. And only is, in three. Uh, oh, Novell. Yeah. 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 It's incredible. He played one at Lang, so, right? So he would have broken that record in three right. years. That's right. So where you guys had it tough, uh, trying to make those mm-hmm. rosters, kids have a lot more opportunity now, right? And if you look at three universities yeah. back then, and now, now there's got to be what seven universities maybe in BC. So making a roster yeah. is is uh, more likely now. So, uh, and that just shows the growth of our sport in, in Canada. There's just so many programs and so many great coaches to go play for now. So, um, so yeah. yeah. So I mean, we're 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 competing against all those schools now to get the best kids up at SFU. That's awesome. It's a great answer. I think there's just so many takeaways there. And, you know, you're a coach who's a grinding and I see you at all the games. I see you at different places, checking them out and, and just the reflection on how the landscape of things have changed here in BC. So that's, you know, super, super cool. Corbs, do you have any questions? We're going to throw them into the lightning round here pretty quick, but um wondering if you have any questions. I know you're a young aspiring coach, but I usually just check in to make sure that you're not falling asleep as the producer. So. <laughs> I, uh, there's, there's a lot going on. I'm just trying to, you know, take away little things, you know, my question for you, Steve, as as someone who, you know, didn't get to play at that post-secondary level and, and now you are coaching at that level. Like what is like the ratio of what, how much are you doing in terms of uh, skill development versus X's and O's versus just managing, uh, personalities and, and trying to figure out what works for this group versus, I don't know. A different group or if that if that question makes any sense yeah i mean it's um you're there for the athlete so you know one thing i, le- I learned in the grocery biz <laughs> is you know when you get into management when you honestly and you learn everything from all your experiences if you're awake you, you're going to learn from any experience you have but you know when i was in management in the grocery biz it was really about serving your managers right you, you wanted to make them make their life easy so they could work hard for you. And I think that's the same thing at the, at the post-secondary level. You want to do as much for your athletes uh, to make their lives simple so they can do great at school and they can work their ass off uh, on the court. So for our guys, everybody needs skill development. We need them in there you know, two, three times a week on their own. Um, we practice during the day um, because they need time to study at nighttime. Um, so skill development is, is, is super important. And I mean, our first, you know, because our, our season doesn't start until October 15th, that first six weeks for us is really, we, 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 we really build our, our building blocks around our program. So that's a great time for us to work in small groups. Um, I'm hoping we're still able to do that with COVID, but I mean, it's, uh, we got to be prepared for a, a different normal, I think for all of us. And that includes coaches. Um, but, uh, you know, that's a great time for us to spend time before we're doing stuff as a team, because once, once we get together as a team, it's really go, go. And, and there's not a lot of time for that breakdown. So working on the court with players and, and 
and the skill development piece is, is really important just to get you to know your players on different levels, see how they're, they're, they're doing throughout the day. And, and uh, that's part of it. But um, yeah, it, it takes special people to, uh, to handle the university course load to travel uh, and then go through exams. And it's, uh, you know, it's, it's a really hard experience. I tell guys that it's a really hard experience, but it's going to fly by. It's going to, that four years is going to go so fast. So enjoy it. Right. So is that skill development kind of ratio, uh, are you doing more of that at the high school level? Like when, sorry, when you were at Terry Fox and you were the JV coach and, or you were the senior coach, right now I'm the STM uh, junior coach. And how much of, are you spending, you know, on the court in the preseason or, or just, you know, working with yeah. the kids one-on-one? Sorry for the other question. <laughs> yeah, I mean, no, that's a great question because, you know, the junior coach is really important. I, I mean, when I... Corbs is trying to use this as uh, the free clinics. <laughs> trying to use a free clinic right now. Yeah. There was part of me that wanted to do my own thing. And that's one thing I always loved about Chambers and Venos. We never, you know, we never had to run the same offense. We never had to run the same defense. They let us experiment. You know, and Chambers would tell you, whatever you're doing, I, you're screwing up. I'm going to take over and do it properly. But... Um, <laughs> the, the, you know, at the end of the day, if you look at what players actually need, it is the skill piece, right? It's, uh, it's the ball right. handling, it's putting up lots of reps. And if you can kind of stoke that fire in them and, and, and get them to enjoy the training part, um, they're going to improve. Right. So, I mean, if you look at how good players can get between ninth and 12th grade, it's really about the players that love it and actually spend the time in the gym. And uh, there's a lot of talented athletes that, you know, jump and run that are okay in grade nine. But a lot of those players that become basketball players are the guys that are the MVPs become grade 12. And that's, uh, that, that's just a lot of hours. I appreciate that answer. Thank you. Thank you very much. You bet you, man. I think you touched on something really cool was, um, you know, going back to your experience about, you know, working at Superstore. And what was your quote was, uh, if you're awake, you should be learning something. And I think that's something as an educator and a coach at the high school level, always trying to work with our kids is just like to be present and reflective. You know, when we were that age, we we weren't really. And so a lot of times with the kids we coach, now you're dealing with men, but Corbin and I were a lot of the stuff coming out of our mouths is from our own failures or things that we've learned. Right. And they think they take it as us being hard on them. And, and I think one of the awesome quotes that I took from the last dance was uh, about Jordan and just being like, you know, his ability, it wasn't about his ability to jump high or run fast or shoot a ball is that he was completely present and that's what separated him. So just like he was present in everything that happened within his career and that's what separated him. I mean, obviously he could dunk from the free throw line and all those things, but he was present in his work. He was present in his film study. And that's such an important thing that we've got to stay present as young people, no matter what situation it is, because we can always take something away. So I, I, I love that answer and that you pointed that out. And I think you gave a lot of really good little nuggets there um, in the last kind of 15, 20 minutes that we've talked. So thank you so much for all those answers. Yeah. Yeah. You got to stick to it. Right. And uh, I, I, I think, um, I think to, uh, you know, I, I told you about how many times I wanted to quit that job. Um, but mm -hmm. going through that as a young person, um, that, that's where you're learning, right? You're, you're learning in those times yeah. where you're getting through things and those tough days aren't as tough because you, you, you got through it. So you're adding all that into your toolboxes 
as a young man or a young person when you're when you're going through the mm-hmm. grind. And we're going to uh, go to the rapid fire and just throw some questions at you and know that, you know, and obviously thinking of time and things and tomorrow you're uh, presenting on a coaching clinic. So that's super cool. I'm going to fire one at you really quick. I don't even know if you can answer this or if you know, but is the UBC SFU rivalry ever going to be able to happen again? What does that look like? Yeah, I, th- I, I think it would be great for our province. There's a lot of logistical things that we'd have to work out. I mean, the big thing is mm-hmm. is uh, UBC and the U Sports schedule. They're in their conference schedule um, when we're starting practice. So for right. us, the only time we, we the only time we can play non-conference games really is in November, and that's usually in the thick of the schedule. So it would mm-hmm. have to be a, a bye week for for a team like UBC to play. The other issue mm-hmm. is is um, we only have a certain amount of weekends we can actually have what we call counter games that go towards our RPI. So playing a team right. that is um, not an NCAA team, that's another consideration. But we're allowed three exhibition games. Um, you know, we, we end up playing, you know, last year we played UBCO and, and Trinity Western, and there's no reason why we couldn't play UBC. But if we wanted to have a big... Uh, showcase uh, for the lower mainland um, that would be something we want to work out and I, I think it would be great for the province it'd be great for all the high school kids to see what that level looks like and and uh, I'd be all for it I, I I just think anything that promotes the game in our province is is a positive thing um, I think mm-hmm. you know whatever coaches or the universities have issues with is just a, a small thing in the a bump in the road that people can work out it's just it's just uh, all about timing and, and, and coming together. And I know, you know, obviously back in the day, knowing a bunch of SFU guys and a bunch of UBC guys, a lot of times when I'm out with friends and if there happens to be one or the other or both in the same room, there's a little bit of chirping that happens from those, I believe it was, was it called the Buchanan Cup? Um, yes. And I remember watching those rivalry games too. So it'd be something that would be very cool and that you, you know, I think you touched on a lot of the good things that it would bring. What is the greatest chip, or you walk into a store, what is the one bag of chips? You're only allowed to get one. What do you grab? Aaron, a lot of people don't know this, but I'm a chip connoisseur. And oh, it's, it, uh, <laughs> it, uh, it, it's embarrassing to say, but I got about six bags going on right now. I, I have, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're always looking for healthy, healthy choices, but it is my, uh, it definitely is my crutch. Uh, I'm a Canadian guy, so I support Old Dutch. Old Dutch. Uh, Arribe Taco is is a go to. Um, the formula wow, has changed. Wow! A lot. The formula has changed a lot over the last twenty years. So it's it, it's it's not like it used to be. You know, I, I I can do Doritos if I go Doritos. I know a lot of you guys are. I, I like traditional nacho. I can go zesty. There's no doubt zesty is is in my, in my wheelhouse. There's a there's this is not a chip though so I'm going I'm going a little outside the uh, the realm here but boom chicka boom a white cheddar cheese puff it's in the healthy section at the, the grocery boom store. chicka pop that's yeah. give that a wash man that that doesn't qualify uh, no you you, you got to check it out it doesn't leave the white cheddar residue like the smart food uh, popcorn does and it's it's, it's <laughs> you got to try it out you'll go through a bag in a couple seconds there and guaranteed for you. We actually have a bag of smart food downstairs right now, and I had residue all over my hand while my son napped today. So, yeah, while you were, that was the Aribe Old Dutch. Wow. I'm wow. shocked. I'm, wow. Impressive. Yeah, ta- taco and nacho cheese. 
they're they're both up there. I'm not sure we're going to meet anyone else along this journey that's going to have that answer. But hey, well played, man. Well played. We'll just tie into the next food question then. Ketchup on macaroni, acceptable? Well, I'd be lying if I say I never had ketchup on uh, KD. But uh, of course, no, that's a, that, that, that's a no. That's a no. You know, it, it, it's funny that we're talking about craft dinner. But yeah, if I have it now, maybe uh, maybe some cracked pepper on there. That's about it. And and this is, we've talked about, it's about growth and learning and developing. So, I mean, we've all gone down the dark road of trying ketchup on macaroni when we were young and didn't know any better, but we've learned and we've reflected and we've become better people. And now we know that that just isn't acceptable, right? That's right. Yeah. I'm with you yeah. there. Who, who was your hero growing up basketball wise? Like who was the guy or girl or whoever it was, was a high school pro that you loved and watched? Um, that you just kind of wanted to be like, or that you just loved tuning into to watch them play. Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, my f- my first experience at the Agrodome was in eighth grade. I remember getting a J.R. Reed North Carolina jersey at the uh, retail booth there, and uh, what? Uh, yeah, it, it's crazy. And that that kind of started my blue our heels. J.R. Reed, look him up. Come on. Was it no? Was uh, it blue or white? Not who I know, J.R. Reed, baby. Oh, it was blue and white. Yes. Yeah. Wow. It was blue and white. Yeah. That is unreal. Yeah. And then when I got into you know junior high, I, I uh, a guy at my old junior high had me uh, scorekeep for. They used to have a three on three tournament for the team for the guys that didn't make the tournament, and I remember scorekeeping. But um, yeah, I mean, '89 was probably I remember Chad Johnson and Mitch Berger. That was a tremendous final, North Delta. I mean, those were some guys that uh, were pretty fun to watch. You know, Lewis Johnson, Richmond. I mean, there, there were so many talented teams uh, to watch. Um, so, um, you know, the the Fox guys I looked at too. I mean, Mike Mike Knapp was a guy that was undersized who I battled against every day. And as a six two post player who had like a six ten wingspan, he was a tough guy to play against. But I mean, the guys at Centennial I played against, there was a guy named Magnus Reeves that was an unbelievable athlete. You know, he'd be dunking at one end, and I'd try to do what he could do, but his, he had an unbelievable vert. So there was, you know, uh, the Hickey Courts was kind of where we honed our game on the oh, weekends and in the summers. So it was it was all about the local rivalries back then. So, you know, Centennial, Port Moody, Fox, that was, you know, where we, we kind of went, you know, got it on up there. And I always remember you the year you came back from Brandon I was like you know this Mitchell guy come on and then I just remember you having deep deep range on the hickey courts when you came back and I was like what is this guy added to his game he, this guy can shoot the ball so I mean it was uh it was it was crazy times then but the outdoor courts was kind of where you not only honed your skills but you got beat up by the older players and that was uh huge for our development right was uh was going on there and if you lost you know you were sitting off for a 25 minutes and you didn't want that to happen so it was like war but it was a lot of fun for sure man boy or it's i get goosebumps just thinking about that and yeah one thing i always say when i where i grew up in coquitlam we lived on a hill we had the only flat driveway and we had the killens remember brian killens and jason killens right around jason. jeff winslade and those guys and so they lived on our same street and they always wanted to play on our hoop their dad ended up getting them a court in the backyard but until that it was like the only way you guys are allowed to play on our hoop is if me and my bro can. So like I was, you know, in grade six 
and you know Jason Killens and Brian Killens are playing on my hoop or playing three on three and they're like and they're not taking it easy on me right it was awesome so just quickly who who in your opinion it's kind of becoming an annoying conversation but I like it to hear people's thoughts who's who do you think's the greatest basketball player of all time yeah I think I think there just hasn't been that combination of talent and relent, relentless desire to win that Jordan had. I think um, I think it's refreshing to see the younger generation kind of see that. But I mean, I I also like Jordan's take on not being able to compare generations, right? I mean, if you if you look at Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's resume, mm-hmm. you know, people that played against him, you know, and and you know, if you look at the first, I think it was the first episode of you know uh, the Last Dance, they talked about how. You know, no six five, six six guy is going to come dominate the league. When you had, you know, whether it was Kareem or Wilt, or uh, you know, it, it was a big man's game before Jordan got there. So, um, and now the more I, I look at the game, it's more about you know guys that have the ball in their hands, right? And that's kind of what the game has become. But yeah, mm-hmm. I think I think we got to enjoy everybody's greatness. But if I had to pick one, it would be Jordan for sure. Two more. And they're just a little bit more deep in thinking. So the most important person in your life has been. Wow. One person. I mean, it's hard It's hard not to say your mom or your dad. I mean, I think my mom was definitely the strongest person I had ever been around. Uh, mm-hmm. Lost my mom and dad to cancer in 05 and 07. But I mean, they were both kind people. But my mom was always the one. <laughs> my mom was always the one that was pushing to be tougher. Um, you know, it's, it's funny when she, uh, she stopped driving after she went through menopause and had a bit of a nervous breakdown and she, uh, stopped driving. She just, she, she couldn't tolerate driving and, uh, she walked everywhere. So, you know, if my dad wasn't mm. there to pick her up from the grocery store, I, I'd be riding my bike and she'd be carrying like four bags of groceries, like, you know, two kilometers home or something. So that's kind of how she was. She didn't <laughs> want to rely on other people. And I think that really kind of kind of stuck with me is just uh, be independent mm. and don't don't rely on other people so uh, I gotta go with mama that's awesome and then the last one before we let you go and this is some people struggle to answer this one and, and obviously you know listening to your story it's just like you've gone so many different ways you've had so many different avenues you've experienced so many different things and if you could do it all again you would <laughs> Yeah, I, li- I listen to Dom say this, and I mean, I think I think we all <laughs> wish we worked we worked harder. Uh, mm-hmm. So I think I think, uh, but honestly, man, you d- you just can't live like that. I think I think my life wouldn't be where I was unless I made some of those crazy decisions back then. So, right. Oh, you know, I, I I don't I I don't take anything for granted, but I also I, I don't live with regret. I just. Uh, you know, just like you said about Jordan, live in the present, learn from the past, man, and, and just uh, keep growing. Final answer. I love it. I believe it. I'm it's, I'm totally with you on that. Just That's what life is about, right? And then if you just spend too much time thinking about it, you just beat yourself up and then it just becomes unhealthy. We really appreciate your time and, and we were super pumped to get you on here. And um, I know you're busy and you have lots going on and juggling life is there anything else you'd like to add or any shout outs or any any other comments before we let you go no man just shout out shout out all the people uh grinding trying to trying to stay healthy and uh you know shout out to all our frontline workers i guess that's that's really important but i I just hope we can all get back to uh 
some form of normalcy and, and get back to uh, helping our youth. And uh, I appreciate you guys doing this. I mean, Aaron, I think uh, everybody that knows you is, uh, is this is this is your calling, man. I mean, uh, obviously, an educator is 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 something you're outstanding at. But uh, everybody loves, uh, you know, having a beer with you and and, and shooting it. And uh, this is a great way to do it. And and your impact on uh, the youth through basketball in our province has been huge. So keep doing what you're doing, Corbs. I know you're going to be the future. So uh, can't wait to hear what you're doing down the road. Right on, man. That's great. Thanks. Thanks for wrapping that up. And. Uh fluffing our pillows a little bit before we let you go. But I just, again, the, I just, the, I appreciate the words, but this is exactly what we kind of, our vision was for this podcast was to allow people who don't feel comfortable talking about themselves. And I think when, you know, you're recruiting locally or somewhere else and you walk into a gym and people see you in your hoodie or your golf shirt, they just identify you as the coach of SFU and they don't really know who you are and what it took for you to get where you are and what it, takes for you to get out of bed every day every day and i think this is a great platform and you've shared such a great story and i think whether people will say it to you or not they're going to look at you differently and and um hopefully gain even just more respect for you and what you've been able to do and keep your head down and work hard and stay true to yourself so amazing story we really appreciate you being with us we wish you and your program absolutely nothing but success um, and I know you and I will keep in touch because we got lots, lots of connections between us and lots of love for each other. But uh, keep doing the grandpa thing. Crazy that you're that young of a grandpa. Keep doing the coaching thing. Um, and man, keep stepping up that chip game. That's impressive stuff. Old Dutch for life, man. Old Dutch for life. All right, <laughs> guys. I up. We'll have to. Con- you got it. We'll have to contact them for our next sponsorship. Shout out to Good Lad Clothing. Um, thanks to everyone for listening be well can't wait to drop our next episode in the meantime take care of each other and we'll talk to you soon